Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, we are in, I think this is part 6 of our eight-part series on the subject of prayer. And um, as we've been saying all along, the purpose of this series is for us to actually learn how to pray, or at very least, learn how to pray better. Um, just as Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples in Luke 11 one day walked up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Our purpose is to come to the Lord and allow him to teach us how to pray. And when the unnamed disciple in Luke 11 asked Jesus that day to teach them how to pray, Jesus' response was to, um, he, he responded with the same teaching that he provided um, on prayer at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. So that has become our text for this series. And as he prefaced that teaching, Jesus made it clear that this prayer he was teaching us, this, this, this teaching on prayer, was not intended to just be recited over and over and over. Uh, instead, it serves as more of an outline on how to pray to our Heavenly Father. So that has been our approach throughout this series. Uh, we've been breaking, each, breaking down each of the seven parts of this prayer, digging deep to understand what it really means so that we can move simply beyond reciting words to a rich and meaningful prayer life. Now, today we come to a very interesting part of the prayer that's unlike any other part. Up to this point, Jesus has taught us to make three requests to God. After properly approaching our Heavenly Father with the, um, the recognition of who we are in relationship to Him, the first request that Jesus taught us to make was to ask God's help to live in such a way that honors Him. Most of us learned that part of the prayer to go, Hallowed be your name. But it literally means, Lord, help us to bring honor and glory to your name. The second request that Jesus taught us to make is for his kingdom to, is, is to ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, but in the context of our lives, right? Not just in some distant concept in our lives. It has to start with us. And in this request, we're basically surrendering our wills to his will in our lives. Um, and then the third request, which we talked about last week, was... Give us this day our daily bread. And in this request, we're basically building within us a daily dependence on God's provision. And so today we come to the fourth request that Jesus teaches us to make as we pray. And in this, this request is different from all the other requests in that this request has a condition attached to it. Forgive us as we forgive others. Jesus teaches us to ask God for forgiveness conditional on us forgiving others. Look at what he says, Matthew 6, verse 12. Forgive us for our sins, just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Now, why would Jesus teach us to pray for forgiveness that way? I mean, just like the previous request for provision was very simple and had no conditions attached, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus could have just as easily said, and forgive us our sins today, right? But he didn't. 
why did Jesus ask us, or teach us, to ask God for his forgiveness conditional on us forgiving others? I'm sure that was a question that was on everyone's mind uh, in Jesus' audience that day, um, which is probably the reason that as soon as Jesus finished teaching us this prayer, he immediately addressed this issue. As soon or as Jesus concludes his teaching on prayer, he spells out God's condition on forgiveness. Wait, what? There's actually a condition on forgiveness? Just out of curiosity and be honest, how many of you have thought at one point or another that God's forgiveness was unconditional? Yeah, several hands. Uh, I did too at one point. And honestly, I think that's an easy mistake to make because we have this tendency to sort of um, wrap up God's grace and mercy and forgiveness along with our salvation and eternal security into this nice, neat little package and slap the label, God's unconditional love, right? But Jesus spells out for us in no uncertain terms that God's forgiveness is conditional. Look at what he says, Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I think it's important to point out here that he's not talking about a passive lack of forgiveness like maybe we didn't take the offense seriously enough, right? Nor is unforgiveness something we fall victim to, right? It doesn't just happen to us. The phrase refuse to forgive in verse 15 is an active verb. And implies that the opportunity was there for you to forgive someone, but instead you refused to forgive them. So the condition is, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. How many are glad you came to church today? (laughs) All right, now the next question you may have is why, right? Why is forgiveness conditional? I mean, I can understand that God might put a condition on something, right? That's his prerogative. He's God, right? He can do whatever he wants. But don't I have the right to withhold forgiveness from someone, especially if I deem the offense unforgivable? I mean, that person really offended me. They victimized me. They took advantage of me in the worst way, God. And if I forgive them, that means I'm letting them off the hook. That means I can't hold that against them anymore. And it feels so good and it feels so right to hold that thing against them. You know, we can find all kinds of reasons to justify withholding forgiveness from someone. And yes, God gave you a free will so you can actually make that choice. But Jesus is pretty clear. That's a choice that's going to cost you. Now, to really understand why forgiveness is conditional, we really have to understand the nature of God's forgiveness in the first place, right? And Paul's letter to the Romans um, does an outstanding job of explaining this in detail, right? So we're going to read an extended passage beginning with Romans 3, verse 19. You can turn there if you like. Romans 3, verse 19. 
He says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And it's these last two verses that sort of sum up this whole passage. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. What all this simply means, what all, all this means is simply that by faith in Christ, you were freely forgiven of all of your sins. Jesus did all the hard work, so you don't have to, be, to work to be made right with God. And this isn't something that we should ever take lightly, and it is especially something we should not take for granted. But unfortunately, I think that that's a trap that many of us have fallen into. You know, we've heard about God's forgiveness all of our lives, and because familiarity breeds contempt, um, we tend to take that forgiveness for granted. 
But Paul goes on to say in verse 6, he says, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. What joy indeed. When when was the last time you just took a moment to rejoice over your forgiveness? I mean, do you realize how awesome God's forgiveness under the new covenant is? That we don't have to work for it? Simply by placing our faith in Jesus, we are made right with God. That's awesome. I mean, can you imagine if we still had to work for it? Heck, most of us wouldn't be able to go to work to earn money because we'd be too busy working off all our sins, right? And do you realize the enormous price that was paid for your behalf so that you could be freely forgiven? I mean, who else do you know who would be willing to die for you simply because you couldn't keep your flesh under control? Look, we, we can't afford to take this forgiveness for granted. It came at such a high price, but it was freely given to all of us. So we can fall into the trap of taking God's forgiveness for granted, but there's another trap that some of us can fall into, and that's relying on our own self-righteousness. I mean, if we're honest, there are some of us here who, would, who take pride in the fact that you haven't really been in bondage to sin like some other people that you know, right? But pride and self-righteousness are just as detestable sins as any, any other sin, right, according to God. And whether you realize it or not, your sins were many and incurred a debt you could not pay. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. I need two volunteers. Someone who's brave enough to come on up here. Go ahead. All right, Jacques. Anybody else? All right. All right, you can come over here. Um, All right, so think of the most notorious sinner you know, right? Like Riken, for example. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Now, think think of a real bad person, right? Somebody who's probably broken every sin there is. You know, a real murderous, cheatingous, lioness, son of a gun you know, right? He's, he's, (laughs) Jacques here is going to represent that person, okay? Sorry, you were the first one up here. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Now think of the most sinless person you know, right? Someone who, you know, just, you'd be surprised if a cuss word ever slipped out of their mouth, right? Who who, who might that be, right? And Sean is going to represent that person, okay? Now, do you realize that in God's sight, these, these two are no different when it comes to their sinfulness? Because scripture tells us in James 2 verse 10, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Sorry, Sean, all that work to try and be good, just, it just didn't pay off for you, man. All right, you guys can give extra seats. Thanks. See, whether you realize it or not, your sins were many. 
and incurred a debt you could not pay. Even if you only broke one law of God, you're guilty of the whole law. But someone paid the price for you, and his name is Jesus. And to keep from taking God's forgiveness for granted and to keep from ascribing little value to it because we don't think we need it as much as others, we must never lose sight of the enormous debt of sin that we were forgiven. We must never lose sight of that. And you can't compare yourself with other people, much less look down on them because you think you're better than they are. Why? Because you're just as guilty. And Jesus had a a difficult time trying to get the Pharisees to see this. One day, Jesus and his disciples were hanging out with some tax collectors, some prostitutes, and other notorious sinners, the passage says. And the Pharisees show up, and they say, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? I mean, just the fact that they asked that question tilted their hand, right? They're the most self-righteous people, right? And Jesus responds this way. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So which camp would have you rather been in that day? The ones who think they're righteous? I mean, that's a dig if I ever heard one, right? Or those who know that they're sinners. This same contrast shows up later, a couple chapters later in Luke chapter 7. Uh, Luke 7, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off of my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, 
and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. I think what he's addressing there is, is a perception problem, right? Because the reality is we have all been forgiven of much. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the person who keeps all the laws except for one is just as guilty as the one who has broken all of the laws. And God only asks one thing in return for the, forg- for the forgiveness we have received. Having been freely forgiven of so much, God asks us to freely forgive others. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4 verse 30 through 32 And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember how we talked about that a few weeks ago? With the uh, hallowed be your name part of the prayer, which actually is help us to keep your name holy or help us to, to bring honor to your name. This is one of the ways we do this, right? Through forgiveness. Do not bring sorrow to, to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Forgive one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you you so you don't have to work to receive god's forgiveness but once you have it all he asks is that you extend that same forgiveness to people who sin against you see when we really understand the nature of god's forgiveness towards us the real question is how could we possibly withhold forgiveness from others And we have been so freely forgiven by God. How could we possibly withhold forgiveness from other people when we have been so freely forgiven of so much? Logically, it makes no sense to withhold forgiveness from someone when we've been so freely forgiven. But we seem to find ways to do that, don't we? And that... I believe, is the reason God places the condition on forgiveness. To motivate us to extend the same forgiveness we've received to others. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells this story, and this really illustrates the point. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? He's probably really proud of, you know, that question. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you for that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Whether we feel entitled to withhold forgiveness for something or from someone or not, whether we feel like we have the right, it is something we can't afford to do. We just can't afford it. We cannot afford to put our own forgiveness at risk just to satisfy the desire of your, your sinful nature and hold something against someone. And so I want to ask you to search your hearts and answer this question, and this is just between you and God, from whom have you withheld forgiveness? Who have you been holding a grudge against? Who did something that you feel like was unforgivable. Um, I have a little video I want to play for you, and, and this is, some of you might be familiar with the, the, this name, Corey Ten Boom, but this is just a snippet of her testimony of what she went through and how she had to work through this process that we've been talking about. Go ahead. Source of our strength is Jesus Christ himself. And his cross shows us that we can accept suffering as a part of God's plan for this world. When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing and we had to stand the first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. 
and suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells they took his garments, he hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Some people are afraid to look at the cross. Are you? Don't be afraid. The cross is terrible. It is terrible how Jesus suffered. Not to describe. But you must not be afraid to look at it. For if you had been the only person in the world, Jesus should have suffered for your sins. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my sins rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I have guidance every day. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin, and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards, in the concentra in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God's grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is still
stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. I don't know the offense that some of you might be carrying. But whatever it is, we can't afford to hang on to it any longer. No matter how good it feels or right it feels to hold something against someone, it's not worth risking God's forgiveness of your sins. And if Jesus died for the sins of the world, that means Jesus shed his blood so that person could be forgiven as well. And if Jesus paid the price so that they could be forgiven... Who are we to withhold forgiveness from them? Don't allow unforgiveness to remain in your heart when you pray. Have you ever noticed that when you pray, that's usually the time the person you're holding a grudge against pops up in your mind? That's the Holy Spirit nudging you to take care of that. Notice what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. He says, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. And if we pray the way Jesus has taught us here in the Lord's Prayer, if we pray for for forgiveness conditional on our forgiveness of others, I promise you, if you sincerely pray that, if you're holding a grudge against somebody, it is going to pop up right to the surface. And that's your opportunity to take care of it right then and there. To exercise faith and just speak it out. Yes, I, I forgive them. I choose to forgive them. I may not feel like it right now, but I am choosing to, make, to, to forgive them and let them off the hook and not hold it against them any longer. So why did Jesus teach us to pray this way? I used to think it was just the part of the prayer where I confessed all my recent sins and got forgiveness from God. But this part of Jesus teaching us to pray is not simply to acquire God's forgiveness. Jesus teaches us to pray this way so that God can build within us a heart that freely forgives. You were freely forgiven. He's trying to get you to grow to the point where you can freely forgive as well. Have you ever heard someone give the testimony that more than their circumstances being changed through prayer, that they themselves were changed through prayer? Have you ever heard that? I mean, that's really what prayer is about, y'all. See, when you're you're just 
barely scratching the surface of prayer, then prayer is nothing but trying to get stuff from God. It's trying to get him to move on your behalf, or it's trying to get him to change a circumstance. But if you learn to pray the way Jesus is teaching us to pray, not just reciting the, the prayer, but sincerely praying each of these things from your heart, in your own words, in your own context, then what do you think the long-term outcome is going to be? See, if every day you sincerely seek God's help to live a life that brings him honor and glory, then you're going to build that into your life. You're going to become the kind of person who brings him honor and glory. If every day you sincerely seek for God's kingdom to come and his will be done in your own life, then you're going to build that into your life. You're going to become the kind of person who surrenders your will for the sake of his. If every day you sincerely seek and ask God for what you, to give you what you need for that day, then you're going to build, build within you a daily dependence on his provision. And if you sincerely seek God's forgiveness, conditional on you forgiving others, then you're going to build within you a heart that freely forgives. The same way that God forgave you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for so great a forgiveness. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to to die for us. Thank you that he came and fulfilled every law and that if we just place our trust in him, then we, his, his righteousness is credited to us. I thank you that he also fulfilled the demands of the law that were levied against us. He stood in our place and took the, the sentence of death upon him so that we didn't have to. And I thank you that simply by placing our trust in him, we are made right with you. What an amazing forgiveness we have received. I pray, God, that you would help us to let go of our petty grievances and our offenses and realize that it's just not worth hanging on to. I pray that you would help us, God, to freely forgive just as we have been freely forgiven. every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you feel like God has brought someone to your mind, you realize that you've been holding on to some bitterness, or you've been holding on to a grudge, or you've been holding on to some unforgiveness, and you want to let it go right now. This is a sign of surrender between you and God. Just raise your hand. Say, that's me, God. That's me. Hands going up everywhere. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father God. But 
God, I thank you so much. I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of these that have raised their hands, God. I thank you, God, that you're enabling them to release that offense right now. That you're enabling them to forgive freely without them having to work for it, without them having to do any kind of penance, without them having to earn it in some way. No. Free, freely forgiven. I thank you, God, that you're enabling these to do that right now. Just as Corey Tenboom said in her testimony, because the love of God was shed in her heart, in her heart, it is shed in our hearts as well. And through that supernatural love of God, we can freely forgive others as well. God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing here this morning. I thank you so much that you can do what only you can do, but it can only happen when we surrender to you. Help us to surrender our hearts daily, God. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.